0: Welcome back. This is Hank Fortner, and I'm bringing you a part in a series I'm doing called Adventures in Christmas. And if you've been listening every day, we're doing a new adventure in Christmas. And this part is called the complexity of Christmas. Now, I have to give you a bit of a fair warning. This conversation is about those of you who struggle with the happiness of the holidays about those of you who feel that tension within you, that there is something different happening when everyone else is smiling and telling of good cheer. There's still something else at play. There's a sadness there. So if you're not one of those people, or if you don't sense any sadness around the holidays, or if holidays are not difficult for you, and you don't want to know what that's like, you can just skip to the next episode or listen to one of the previous, because this conversation is about those moments and is about that reality that sometimes holidays come with them a complexity, a duality almost, an intermixed sort of hodgepodge of cheer and joy and uh, sadness and mourning. And sometimes there are sad things that happen at Christmas. Crying for. Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. I promise you, Daddy is not going to kill Ralphie. (laughs) It's in every story. No story is single noted positive. No story carries with it the singleness of just like everything being perfect and up and to the right all the time. No stories like that, and that story's boring. Everything being perfect. It's beautiful for a season sometimes, but if you've lived long enough, then you probably have with you a few regrets around Christmas, a few complex things around Christmas. I have what I have called the cloud. Not the cloud that helps you do your online banking or the cloud that helps you store things like this podcast in the the netherworld that is a network. I have the cloud. In my memory, when it comes to holidays and Christmas time, as you know, I love Christmas and I love all of it, but underneath all that is a complexity that for many Christmases we lived with the cloud. My mom and dad, we they had three of us biologically and then we started fostering kids. We brought 36 foster kids into our home for a seven year period. Yes, you heard that right. 36 kids came through our home. We were a state-certified foster home, and we would bring kids in, some for two weeks at a time, some for two years at a time, some for two months at a time. And the two weeks and the two months just felt like we got a chance to love on kids for a period of time. But the two years at a time was a really, really brutal time of our life. Because what would happen is that means that we got two Christmases, That means that we got two birthdays. That means we got two summers. That means we got two windows of time with a child that became our brother and our son and our sister. And then with 12 hours of warning, the state would call and remove that child from our home. Oftentimes right around when we had inquired as to whether or not we could adopt that child. There were all sorts of things and all sorts of political things and racial tensions at play, but for us, what it left with us is the cloud. Um, I call it the cloud because what happened was our home would, around Christmas time, start to be filled with the seats that didn't have um, kids in them anymore. And our home would be filled with presents that we would buy and address and had already purchased and had already written their name on And already had them under the tree. And then those kids were not in our home anymore. And uh, it left us with this heaviness around the holidays that uh, never quite washed off. It's been nearly 30 years since our first foster kid came into our home. And uh, that never quite washed off. It was like as if we were enjoying Christmas and we had a blast at Thanksgiving and we were loving the holidays. And it wasn't that the carols weren't exciting for us and it wasn't that we didn't want to buy presents for one another and that Christmas morning wasn't great and that Christmas Eve service at our church wasn't awesome. It's just that there was something there, um, something else that I call the cloud. My mom, was probably the one who carried the heaviest burden of all of it. If you're a mom or you're a dad, you know that the heaviest burden for a child is carried on your shoulders. And I, This is not even like a sexist statement or anything. There's just something about a mom. And my mom carried most of it and maybe the cloud even started with her because she knew that they didn't leave our home and go to better Christmases. Uh, that we were missing them. And my mom would have moments every so often where she would mention it, but we weren't the kind of household that like talked about the fact that, hey, it's Christmas and isn't it sad that hubby isn't with us? Hey, it's Christmas and isn't it sad that Bubba isn't with us? How does everyone feel about that? We didn't have like a ball that we passed around and talked about our feelings. We didn't say anything. But every so often, my mom would show her cards and talk about how much it was okay that we were allowed to miss them. And there's this song that um, Mariah Carey wrote called I Miss You Most at Christmas Time." And um, man, it's an intense song and it's a really powerful song. And I remember hearing that in my household for the first time and stopping in my tracks in the middle of the living room as that was playing. And just freezing and going, she just put to words what this cloud does to our family. She just put it in words. And I remember going over to my mom with a tape deck. Do you remember, do you remember the Walkman? I had a tape deck with headsets and I had bought the tape. I had bought the Mariah Carey Christmas tape. And I walked over and I put the earphones on my mom and I said, You gotta listen to this song. And when my mom heard it she just kind of shook her head and then the tears welled up and it was like that's our cloud that's what this thing has been that's why christmas feels weird that's why thanksgiving feels odd that's what's been going on and for a family that didn't process emotions out loud very well we didn't have a psychologist no one was a psychology background or even pastoral it was just you just keep moving and you just keep going but that song i miss you most at christmas time man that got to see that song it, it goes a little bit like this. Everybody's laughing but while they're celebrating and everyone's so happy except for me tonight because i miss you most at Christmas time and I can't get you. And how deeply that song moved us was when we gathered together for one of the biggest Christmas celebrations I can remember in Naples Florida there was this church that we rented and you'll hear about it a little bit in the poem that I'll show you at the end of this episode but in that place my mom gathered together and she asked my sister who has an incredibly beautiful voice and she asked my sister she said will you sing this song for the whole family because it wasn't just our family my immediate family my 10 brothers and sisters who were affected by the loss of the little kids who would be taken from our home. It was my aunts and uncles, it was my grandparents, it was everybody, there was a something. When you lose somebody, they don't go away. When you lose somebody, they're just not there. And there's a huge difference. They don't go away. They just aren't there, which is worse. Then if they just went away, if you just forgot them or something. And my mom, at the middle of our Christmas dinner, she had my sister with an accompaniment tape sing this song, I miss you most at Christmas time. And if you had been an outsider, I just want you to take a moment. If you had been an outsider at our Christmas dinner and you had been just popping in going, Wow, look at the decorations and this huge tree and all this food and all these presents and all this candy and all these kids having such a good time. And then the one Christmas song that is performed is a Christmas song called I Miss You Most at Christmas Time. You'd been like, man, this family's going through some stuff. Woo, they <laughs> you would have if you had crashed that party, you would have uncrashed it very fast. But it was our only way of showing our family that it was okay for us to miss the kids who weren't there. See, for me, Christmas has always been complex. And every so often, people who also have lost people in their life, they look at my, my excitement around Christmas and they look at the joy around Christmas and they look at the cheer and they look at the holiday and they go, I just can't do it because I've lost people or because I've been through this. And I'm always really clear to explain that my joy around Christmas time is not a reflex it's a choice my joy around christmas time is a choice to move through the stages of grief to move through the pacing of grief and to find joy because the only gift that you give those you lost is your joy now you see joy is the gift that you give to the ones who aren't here anymore it's the joy they would want When I'm gone, I want my family to gather in joy because that's what I would want from them. And you see, joy, it's the gift you give those that you have. Not only do you honor those you're not with by bringing joy, you honor those that are there, those that are with you by bringing joy. See, there's this passage in... Matthew, where Jesus is talking to the ragamuffins, he's talking to the beat up, to the the abused, to the left behind, to the left out, to the captives of this nation, and he gathers them together and in his words, in his sermon on the mount, he says, blessed are those who mourn. He's looking at a group of people who have mourned the loss of their sons who have been taken from them because they were a military threat. He's looking at a group of people who have lost their nation. They've lost their national identity. They've lost their freedom. They've lost their dignity. They have lost everything. And he looks at them and says, blessed are those who mourn. Tears would have welled up in their eyes or their chest would have puffed to say, with a hand held high in the air, that's me. I've mourned. I've lost people. And he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted see it's almost unsatisfying i don't want comfort when i'm mourning i want my brother back i want my sister back i want my grandfather back i want my great grandmother back i want our family back i want the divorces to go away i don't want comfort i want restoration why do i get comfort he says blessed are those who mourn for y- those for you for they will be comforted see god's promise is not that he would fix all the things that had broken it's that he would bring comfort to all those who had been broken is that he would bring you to this place of peace to this place of joy in the midst of all that see there later in my life i discovered the five stages of grief beginning with denial, that it's not happening. And I would, I think our, my family went through that in real time. A little brother would be taken from our home and it would go, um, yeah, we'll just keep moving as if nothing happened, as if he was taking a nap or he was just asleep or away at school. And then we would keep moving and then you move into that anger space. I think that's when what was born in me this rage that I carry. This anger that rears its ugly head at the weirdest times in the world. I was an angry kid and I still have a little bit of that. Now I've, I've, it only, only comes out on electronics actually. Like if a computer doesn't work, I will punch it as if it, it as if it understands physical threats. Like I'm going to threaten to punch the key. I've broken keys cause I hit them so hard. Cause I thought if I hit it harder, <laughs> it will work as if sort of like, if you talk to a person, you've heard that phrase that, um, some famous presidents and famous people have talked louder in English, assuming that would help translate to someone who didn't know English. I, as if I, I just get angry at things and that's where anger is that second stage. And then you start bargaining. And I remember doing this, bargaining, bargaining with God that if I, what I would do if he would just make sure that my brother got to stay in our family. That fourth stage is depression, where you move into that sad space, you move into that dark space, you move into the cloud. That's the cloud that covered our family. But see that fifth stage, that higher stage, that final stage of grief is acceptance. That final stage of grief is what Jesus was talking about when he was saying, blessed are those who mourn Not blessed are those who deny that it's happening or are angry that it's happening or that are depressed it's happening or that are bargaining it's happening. See those are all just stages of the mourning process but to complete the mourning process you have to get to acceptance. See many of us we've lost people and we've just never gone down that journey where we just say I'm going to accept this I'm gonna bargain and I'm gonna let myself be angry about a thing I've been denying and I'm gonna bargain my way out of it and I'm just gonna let the depression fill me. And then we get to that place of acceptance. See, what psychologists today have identified as the five stages of grief are exactly what Jesus spoke of on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who grieve for when you grieve, you will be comforted. It is the gift that God gives you. When you move to that space of acceptance to say, I may have lost them and I may have lost this and I may be losing this, but I will be comforted as I accept that this is life. All of life carries with it loss. There is no story that is a single note of happiness all the way across. There is complexity to every." Christmas time and the invitation to us is that we would be those who bring joy into our Christmas even in the midst of grief and mourning and anger and denial and depression and bargaining because we carry with us a joy because it's the gift we give to those we lost and joy is the gift we give to the ones we have now so for me in my life The cloud is still there, but it's a cloud that hangs in the air like one of those big, white, beautiful, puffy clouds, not like the dark, ominous cloud that I let ruin my summer day, but the big, huge, puffy clouds that you look at and you just go, it's like cotton candy filling the sky. See, I live in Los Angeles where sometimes clouds are never to be seen, it's just a bright, gray sky because of the smog so if you're in an airplane or on a mountaintop you can see the blue we don't really but you're in Los Angeles and there's no clouds and then every so often there's a day when it rains and when the rain clears there are clouds everywhere and you realize how vast our city is and how big the sky is and you drive on hills and you drive all over and you go oh this is what the rest of the world sees they see clouds See, those clouds, they bring texture to your life. They bring stories to your journey. And they bring joy because you have the stories of those that you have. There was a moment in our family where I had to decide that I'm not going to let the ones we lost determine the next decade of our lives for the ones we have. So I've got little brothers and sisters and we have little nieces and nephews now and now I have two little girls and I'm not gonna let Christmas be stolen by the ones that stole our brothers and sisters. I'm gonna allow that to make the joy all the richer. I'm gonna move to that space of acceptance and say this is life. There are clouds in the sky and sometimes it rains and I'm gonna let myself feel everything But then the sun's coming up again. And when that sun comes up, like the words of Jesus, I'll find comfort. There's one last passage that I want you to hear in Leviticus chapter 19. It says, let us not tattoo our bodies or cut ourselves for those we grieve for. Uh, And he says, for I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 19, he says, do not tattoo yourself or cut yourself for the dead. He's saying don't make any permanent mark of grieving because that grieving, that mourning, is only temporary. For when you engage in the process that Jesus gives us, you engage the process that God entrusted your soul to of mourning and you just feel it and you let that cloud hang in the air, you will be comforted. The more you move towards knowing that clouds in the sky only bring texture to your life. Let this Christmas be the Christmas that you and I, we choose joy. We choose joy in the midst of our complexity. We choose joy as a gift to the ones we lost and as a gift to the ones we have. May you and I have a joyous, joyous Christmas this complex holiday season. Now, to give you a parting gift, I wrote a little piece I don't know, a few months ago, a few years ago, something like that, a few Christmases ago, about that Christmas where my sister sang that song and where we were all together in that place. It's called We Were All Together Once. And I want to give you this as your little Christmas shove-off. Is here Is is a piece that I wrote called We Were All Together Once. Check it out. We were all together once. 49 cousins, 11 brothers and sisters, 9 aunts and uncles, 2 grandparents, and 1 great-grandmother. We spoke words louder than we needed to because sometimes fun is a volume you can't hear when it's happening. That rented church by the sea held our entire family, but between me and you, barely. It is all slow motion in my memory. Like a car accident or a first kiss, I remember everything. We sang songs and opened gifts and gave words of love. We ate food so carb heavy, even the beer was jealous. Candy flowed through my fingers like some kind of jelly bean heaven. Moments of awkwardness were replaced with laughter. Disappointments were whisked away on the train of who cares about that right now. The mothers grouping their children for the photograph, the fathers lamenting the stock market with holdings they probably didn't even have. My grandfather, standing high above his six foot four frame pacing, watching. He loves this stuff. He's a little gruff, but from a distance, he's a king. I slow it down in my memory because most of the time I'm missing it. Since that night, three have passed away. I never saw my uncle again. My cousins never saw their father again, and I have a hard time remembering that he was even there. My great-grandmother, she transitioned. 103 years in the womb of this world, and she was born into the next. Like a fine wine, she took her sweet, sweet time. My grandfather, John, the quiet one in my memory, tucked his flannel shirt into his moleskin pants, and he watched. His conversations were brief, but he teared up that night. I saw it. He gave me a look as if to make me promise I wouldn't say a word. After all, soldiers' tears are not easy to see. Nearly a 100 of us filled the church that night. It feels so good to remember the sting of those we lost then and the youth we've said goodbye to, but now, we are now living tomorrow's memories. This Christmas, this Eve, will be the day that we were all together. Pick up your children and hug your in laws. Smell the sweet fragrance of a long retired diet and breathe. Get out all the candy. Let your children feel the jelly beans whisk them away. Let your disappointments and bruises board the train and leave the station. Choose this Christmas season to live more, forgive more. Give more. Watch the faces of those you love catch the beam of light you giving off and shine. Let your light shine for 15 years from now. A poem will be written about today, this year, this Christmas. Make it extraordinary for we were all together once and we are all together now.